You are listening to the Global CTE Podcast with your host, Sylvester Chisholm. Welcome, my friends, to another episode of the Global CTE Podcast. I am your host, Sylvester Chisholm. This is the place where I interview the best, the brightest, the movers, the shakers, the innovators, the people who are really making a difference in the education space. Today is no different. I have my good friend, Barbara Bray here. Now, let me tell you about Barbara. Barbara is a true pioneer as it relates to education innovation. She's a coach, teacher, writer, disruptor, risk taker, learning designer, connector, and visionary. She calls herself a creative learning strategist where others call her a change maker. Now, Barbara actually created the first version (laughs) of Google Classroom, excuse me, it's actually was called My E-Coach. As early as 1999, she was bringing educators together. This is way before Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, or Pinterest. She's what some people call a digital pioneer. She also runs the Rethinking Learning podcast, where she captures stories from people who inspire her, and is also the author of Define Your Why. Barbara, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for this. Is, uh, that, I sound like a pretty cool person. I don't know. <laughs> no, listen, you are uh, amazing. And the work that you have put in to uh, touch the education space, uh, serving generations year on year on year, like is groundbreaking and still remaining innovative. Um, I think it's just it's just impressive and it's something that we all should aspire to uh, to to be like as it relates to uh, moving the needle forward to to best serve our students. And and I just want to say thank you for all of that. But um, yeah, let's let's talk about it. Okay, I mean, really, really quickly, like your origin story. How do you get here? How do you get here? Well, I did some, um, let's say I went down an interesting path. I started at a, in a different field, found it wasn't for me, um, got hurt, uh, realized teaching was my, you know, it was what touched my heart. And so um, became a teacher, then realized I'm really good as a coach. So I worked in the San Francisco Bay Area, mostly in Oakland Unified Um, I also love technology, so I was the kind of person that was curious when the first this or that came out. I had to take it apart and put it back together again. (laughs) So I ended up working with CTAP, California Technology Assistant Project, writing grants, getting Mm -hmm. grants, um, working with schools uh, around the Bay Area. And then I started a consulting business and um, it grew and ended up with a lot of coaches around the country. And like you said, I started a platform called My E-Coach. And um, that was a long time ago. It To me, it was um, a great way to connect. It was a place you could book courses. It was a lot wonderful. I just recently uh, transferred it to k12leaders.com because I'm on a different journey now. And so... Now I'm, uh, I love my podcast. I started that in 2017. It's grown. I have reflections. I have lots of wonderful people who share their stories. So some of those stories are in my book, Define Your Why You Mentioned. I have two books before that, 
the personal on personalized learning. One is uh, make learning personal, and the other is how to personalize learning. And so, I have I have just lots of stuff, Sylvester. I, I know, just I know, I know, I know you do, and that's why I wanted. I was so excited to to talk to you just to to lift up your curiosity and your spirit of collaboration, you know, and celebrating other people. But since since you brought it up, I'm I'm curious, what was what was your thinking around creating that that e-learning platform, like my e-coach, like the origin, what like what problem okay, were you trying to solve? It's a fun story. Go, go. Um, I was hired as a consultant with my team at for Oakland Schools uh, Unified in the Bay Area. And um they asked me to teach the teachers Dreamweaver. Okay. So they'd have a place to, there was nothing out there at that time. And um, I can't even remember what, like 1996, around 97, there was nothing available other than one or two, but they didn't do what they needed. So um, teaching teachers how to actually FTP at night when they're so busy as it is, we spent two weeks teaching all these teachers and Sunday night before they had to launch, 12 of them were on my doorstep crying. <laughs> like, no way I can do this. So I went to the uh, district and since I was working downtown, I said, we need to make something. Well, we don't have the resources. I said, what if I do it? It'll be mine. But I, you know, it was that. And that's how it got started. Really? <laughs> that's yeah, see, that's I, I'm always curious the the origin stories of these of these things, and and like, as it as it grew and developed, how many teachers ended up participating or using the platform? Well, we had, at I mean, at one point, probably it's not millions. It was like a hundred thousand at one point, maybe. I was working all over the country in other states, some some other countries, too, yeah. and um. People were using it in different ways. I had coaches would use it because it it had coaching strategies. You can develop an individual learning plan. There were surveys, quizzes. There was website builders, blogs, and there was so much. And there's ways to connect. And there's a library, library of resources that people could share and um, and standards. We had all the standards. I mean, come on, it was crazy. I don't even know how in the world I did it. <laughs> but it was one of those where I, 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 it grew and grew and grew, but it, it was mine. So one of the issues is I think they, at one point, um, another country wanted to make their e-coach. Uh -huh. And when I realized, Hmm, this could really be open source. I could change it. I didn't know how to do that. And I had my team and tried and wish I had done that now because that would have been so much easier if other people helped develop it. Mm. Um, so that's why now it's a wonderful group called K-12 Leaders and they're okay. coming up with all new ideas. They even came up with a way to have um, coaching one-on-one -on -one or small group with video like um like I'm doing with you right now. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> and so I could, didn't have those resources. I mean, at the time we were creating from scratch. There was nothing out there. Mm. So that's the other is now there are so many tools you can put together and it's so much easier. So, and there was no mobile. 
that's that's why I'm just, when you told me that I was like wow when you're like yeah we had thousands and thousands of 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 users on this I was like really that was so ahead of ahead of his time in terms of uh when you think about the Google classrooms or the the canvases or teachables you know these learning platforms mm -hmm. that exist um that are that are pretty prominent today but I, I want to jump around a, a little just because there's so much to unpack with you your your book define your why and I know that's that's a fusion of stories of people that inspire you like talk to me about about your book and like what inspired you to write that well um I've needed to find my why and in doing that I developed a workshop around it and okay. and I can't even remember what year but I went to the South by Southwest EDU conference and did a, a presentation on define your why mm -hmm. and brought in ikigai which is a, a term on how you can discover your passion and what you're good at and all of that and um all of a sudden I became the ikigai lady I was walking around and everyone's going this is so great do you have a book about it do you have a book about it was all about like that and then I started my podcast and decided I needed to get the stories and when I got the stories and the connections and realized purpose was a big part of it I that's what the book became it became um, my workshop ideas it became um, the stories that people shared with me that didn't share with me online <laughs> they were some different stories and mm. it was just it just came to be it's just mm. been wonderful i love that you mentioned uh icky guy i i just had um don wetrick on the podcast oh, don's, don's he was on my show <laughs> oh really? okay okay yeah don's awesome <laughs> And, and I know you two probably jammed out about Icky Guy because he was talking no, about... No, this would be... He was on before. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. He probably yeah. took it from me. <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't. He's, he's hey, so... Don, if, you, if you're listening... Um, but but no, we, we were talking about that. And I think it's that's something really to lift up in education. Talk to me more about how do you see that playing out in the world of education, that Icky Guy philosophy. Icky Guy? Well, I feel that a lot of the problems with schools or organizations is that um, they may have a mission statement that mm -hmm. the people that are part of that community, the organization or the school may have different purposes for being there. There's no alignment of the whys. And so I wanted to show that it, the only way you're going to get an organization to work you know, cohesively is to really get to know the people that work there um, and let's the, say also your students. I mean, mm -hmm. everybody should have a purpose for being here and that's what Ikigai does. It gives you, um, I don't know if Don mentioned this, but it's the Japanese concept for the meaning of life. Mm -hmm. And it's your reason to get up every morning. If you're going to school just to get through school, um, or if you're a teacher doing this because it's a job and you're not that excited about it, there you're going to burn out. You're going to get stressed. And so I always felt that it's important for everybody 
to really know their why and see how it's aligned to the mission statement or the the why of that organization. And that piece, I get, um, I've done a lot of consulting on that with people is how do you pull them together so we can all work together and we're passionate about what we do. How how do you, like, do you have anything tangible there for how do we connect our whys? Like in an organizational environment, like how do I connect my personal why or better yet, as a leader, how do you get the team to connect their personal whys to the mission of the organization? I think first we need to connect to each other. So I do a, I've done workshops with story exchange from narrative four. It's where um, you get to talk with one other person. Like if I just did this with you, but I'm not going to do it right now, but I would listen to your story very carefully because, and you would listen to mine. And then I would say, hi, I'm Sylvester Chisholm. And I would be you. And I would repeat what you said so you could hear me. You see, that is hard. We tend to listen to respond. We don't really learn to listen. So what happens is we might be part of an organization running around doing what we think we need to do. And we're right. We're so right that we aren't willing to really listen to anyone else. So I've done this workshop many times and people start crying when someone really hears them. And that's the piece. First, we have to hear each other. Then we have to have a voice in the mission statement. The problem is it was usually top down given to us. And it might not be what I believe in, but I'm there. Does that make sense? So I want Mm -hmm. even students really need to have a voice in the school especially when it involves what they're going to do and where they're going to go and what they're going to become. And that doesn't happen. A lot of times we're just give them a curriculum and they never get a, a say in what's happening. I, I find that so interesting with what you, that last part, what you just said, how if everything is supposed to be student centered and caring about the kids but they're usually not involved in the creation or curation process to to really get their feedback until it's time for the implementation. Yeah, you know. And I find I I'm I'm uh, I'm blessed enough to have a, I have a 16 year old in my household, right? And and so he's involved in a lot of programs and 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 school things. And I'm always curious, like, how'd you enjoy that presentation or or some some big shot at some company is talking to the class and, and he's like, ah, oh, it could have been better. And I'm like, and I'm always like curious, like, like why? He's like, well, they just talked at us. They didn't let us do anything. Or his feedback is it's like if they just changed one small nuance, it would have went over so much better with the students, but because they're not usually a part of the feedback loop before something is delivered, um, mm-hmm. that part is is missing, you know? Well, I used to love coaching in the schools. And one of the things that I always tried to do is how, how can we let go? What can we do to get 
our students so they own part of it and they're co-learners in the process. So that's like part of my two books, the the personalized learning books. We shared, my um, co-author and I shared some of the strategies that people did, but that was, you know, some time ago. Now there's a lot of that going on. It's just that we don't hear about it. And Mm -hmm. now we seem to be, um, I don't know, I don't want to say we're going backwards, but sometimes we are. (laughs) And we really need our kids to be on board and and we need our teachers to feel like they have a voice also. So what happens is if we're just given a prescriptive curriculum, like you're even when PD, I used right. to do PD and then I would go, oh, I hate this. I'm up in front and talking to them and they're not involved. And, you know, I want to be I really want everyone who is there to feel that it, it's meaningful, relevant, personal to them. And if we are going to do that to teachers, we should be doing that with students, not to them, with them. With them, not to, but with. I like that. Is from from those early books around personalized learning, any any best practices you want to lift up and share to help personalize <laughs> learning? Well, first get to know your kids. Um, A lot of, I do universal design for learning. That's one of the, uh, the main components of both those books is how do you get to know them? And, and you start with the why that's, and that was from CAST. I don't know if you know the center for accessible technology, but that's how they design universal design for learning. And so they have three principles, the why of learning, the what of learning, and the how. And when I learned about that, um, it it was mainly, we don't take that time to figure out, and why are you here? (laughs) What is your why? And, you know, that kind of thing. So that's why my why came so big. I, uh, I realized we didn't, we don't take the time to really build the relationships and when you get them to feel really comfortable, they have a say in what happens. So we put in some examples mm-hmm. um, from different educators around the world. I was lucky to go to New Zealand and work there and see unbelievable um, classrooms with 100 kids in it and four adults and sometimes more adults. And the rooms, the way they were set up, I went to 20 schools across the country and mm-hmm. thinking what's wrong with us here <laughs> you know what, Barbara break break that break that down because I think that's an interesting experience um yeah when when you see education outside of the country I've I've had uh my guy Petri Elon from Finland and Ooh. talking about their approach of putting the skill first and how you get there how I get there it's mm-hmm. totally up to us, but that is what we're working toward or um, some of the work they're doing in Singapore, some different countries. But tell me more in New Zealand. What what did you see that was unique and stood out? Well, what stood out was learners were learning on their own. They would be even little preschoolers were doing passion year long passion, passion projects. Every student I you know, would sit down. I I was the kind they go, come on, Barb, we got to go. I go, no, I'm going to sit with the kids. I'm on the floor. And um, mm-hmm. as an example, 
I was with some year seven students who were working on their passion projects mm -hmm. and they do them all year long. They have to find the mentors. They have to find the resources. They have to do everything about it. And then they do like a capstone project at the end and they can bring their mentors in. One example was um, a young woman, young lady <laughs> who wanted to learn Greek because her family's from Greece. And so she asked her, I think when her, her uncle to be her mentor, she wanted to learn the Greek food. She wanted to learn more about the customs. And then she, when she, at the end, she was going to have them come in and actually do a dance and wear the costumes and share the food and do all of that as her, um, you know, her capstone project at the end. Mm -hmm. And so everyone had some kind of passion project that they worked on their own. They also had adults who were there just to support. They, you know, they also had a maker space. They had small spaces. They had areas where a teacher could meet with one or a few students or multiple places. So kids were on their own they all had technology. They would sit over here and let me just show you what I'm working on. I thought, why is it that we think that we have to be the experts? Our kids, all they have to do is go online and then they need to know how to do that and how to figure out what's real or not now, you know? Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is that we were put in a place as educators to think we have to be the ones accountable and responsible for the learning. And that has messed us up. And that's mm -hmm. kind of how it's been. And we got to change that. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry, I get a little carried away. No, that was no keep going. Let's keep keep going. I'm 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 enjoying that conversation around um what what do you hear a lot now? The guide on the side, being here mm -hmm. to to be of support, but not feeling like you have to have all the answers. Yeah. Let's let's uncover, let me help support you in uncovering the answers. I like that. So this do they do a, you know, if they do a passion project like every year or? You know, I, I think so. Cause something, but I've seen this in Kentucky. I worked in uh, different parts of Kentucky where they had mm -hmm. 10 innovation school districts. The state decided that they would do these grants and give them, I think for five years, they could do without standards, without tests, whatever they decided. They wouldn't get a lot of money, but they have the ability. Mm -hmm. So there's one is Buddy Berry Eminence School District, um, mm -hmm. where they have a school where the innovation hub is in the middle and every student does a, a passion project every year. And the teachers start, I think, with their passion first and then... Mm -hmm they take it. So I'm I'm finding that people are doing these things. It's just a matter of how do you know what you like? I mean, when you're young, you might like, you know, one thing when you're a little older, you might say, "Woo, I really don't want to do that. But if I'm going to make a skateboard company, I guess what I need to learn is math, finances, how to market, how to, you know, there's all these things they realize like, why they need to learn these things. You see that why keeps coming back. 
<laughs> no, the, the the why is is everything, and it really is at the heart of everything. But like you said, we we usually don't start with the why in education when we should. And if mm-hmm. if you do, then it it honestly, I feel like it makes the the educator's job so much easier to uncover. Like, okay, these are your interests, your passions let's let's teach through that let's try to find a way to teach through that you know well you know we should do it with our teachers so that they can model it Mm -hmm. you see what happens is first day i mean the a weeks before school starts they're they're spending all their time their energy to you know fix the room and come up with the lesson plans and all of this and all i can think of is wow, that's so much work and the kids don't like it. <laughs> so I remember working in one of the, I worked in a middle school in Oakland where they said, you get to do kind of what you want. Go ahead and play, you know, which was okay. fun. And we decided we would take the sixth grades for the team. We had um, core and we asked them, what if we don't put anything on the walls and put all the furniture in the middle and ask the kids what they would like? Would that what would they like on the walls? What would they like and how would they like to design the room? And I and they said, well, you know, we have um 90 minute blocks. So what do you do with four different classrooms? I said, what if you have the classrooms compete on what would be and they come up with ideas and then they all agree and they go, we'll do it and the kids were so excited it was amazing they they came up with a a plan that they all agreed to I mean just think about that they all had a reading area they had a little like a little library they all had the desks like in some had them like they wanted a u-shape some wanted it in groups and they said why can't we move them around they came up with it you see what I mean? And I'm thinking we can do this if we just ask the kids. Yeah. We don't even ask. I worked in a school in Hawaii that uh-huh. had Reggio Amelia schools. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And the little preschoolers were, um, I mean, Reggio Amelia is amazing. And they're starting to look at maybe we need this all the way through. You make the environment and I was there when the kids came back from being on the beach and they were so angry because they were bulldozing trash into the sand and they were yelling at each other and saying, we got to call the president. No, we got to. And they were like so excited. They talked to the adults to write a letter to the mayor. And I'm like three and four year olds. Come on. You see what I mean? If we give them real world experiences and let them generate the curriculum, it's called generative curriculum, come up with some of it. It's, um, I mean, I can go on and on because I, I just love some of the experience I've seen and some of the stories and a lot of it, the kids, kids did it. Yeah. One of, um, one of the top preschools, my friend runs here in St. Louis is they use the Reggio Emilio, that curriculum of, um, isn't it like allowing the kids to play first and then trying to teach through, um, 
through the play, like under under understanding their interest through through it's play. It's a little right? different. Uh -huh. It's the 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 environment's the third educator. Okay. So what happens is you have like blocks over here. You have places for climbing. You have art. You okay. they'll find the where they want to go, and a adult, a teacher, a parent would observe, and they might sit down with them to experiment. There's very little with three and four year olds There's very little teaching. It's more mm -hmm. watching them because play-based mm -hmm. learning is amazing at that age. If you mm -hmm. let them go, if you don't just try, you can show them some things, but the whole mm -hmm. idea is that you're letting them be kids and you're letting them experiment and be curious. What does, I? you may know, you clearly know more about this than this topic than I do. Does that move out to middle school, high school, or if it doesn't, what do you think that would look like? Well, they've actually started. There was a Reggio High School in San Francisco, and there's okay. bringing in some of the components of it. It means look at the way your spaces are. Um, are you going to cramp 40 kids in a room? and there's no room to walk around or whatever. Are you really going to do that? If you are, then why are you going to have deaths? Let's think mm -hmm. about it. So there's, it's like the space really matters. And also, what is it about just starting the day with, okay, open your books. We're going to go to chapter two. You know I mean? Why can't we change the way we react and interact with our kids? Um, and Reggio does a lot of that, where you're observing, you're reflecting on it, you're talking about it, so you're noticing the learning. It's, yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, that's, I'm, you're doing it so well right now. I'm like, this is exactly why I wanted to talk to you because you just, <laughs> your, your depth and experience, like you've seen so much, so many different areas and. Uh, areas of innovation, pockets of innovation. It's kind of moving me to to your podcast, um, <laughs> Rethinking Learning. What's one of your favorite episodes? Oh, I can't. There are too many. <laughs> I really can't. Uh, they're all so, everyone is unique. And what happens is I do a pre-podcast where I can really talk and you know, and the, and sometimes I, they'll share something and I go, are you want to put that up? Because that's pretty personal. And many times they say yes. And but I really want to know before because I want to get it up. I also ask them to um, create the po the post that goes with it, because I said, this is your place now to show you off because I just think you're amazing. <laughs> and I've had so many amazing people on my sometimes I had to pinch myself really you want to be on my show oh my gosh it's like that you know so I don't want to pick any over anyone because they're all I I you know in fact I have more coming that I'm just so excited about excited about <laughs> any trends to lift up that you're noticing as we're thinking about the future of education and and what that looks like. Any are you starting to notice any patterns or trends that in the direction that we may be moving in? Anything? Well, we stand have up? to change. I got trends. Is looking. I have a 
15 year old grandchild. So okay. I'm okay. looking at, I'm looking at how smart they are and how we have to change. We have to change the way we teach. And um, I'm looking at this, what's happening in society too. We have, that's another thing. I'm starting another podcast. So I'll have to tell you about that one. Okay. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, we have to be able to have kids work together, collaborate, connect in, in multiple ways. Cause they, they're digital natives. They, they use technology. They don't even understand why we would even use email now. Cause they don't use that. And, um, I think the thing is we have to really understand this new person, these people, they're unique. They, and they really need to be involved in society and we need to show them that they have a voice. So my trend, I see the trend is they're going to get louder. They're going to get louder. They're going to start making noises. They're going to, when they're 18, they're going to vote. They're going to change some things because they're not, I think they just do school because they have to, but I think they, they're going to start making noises. I, I don't know if you're noticing that too, but that's what I'm seeing. No, I think this is, um, especially you're, you're right. They're, they're more vocal. They have, uh, they definitely have a, a big heart for, what is happening in the world around them and feeling that that they should have a say in how things are happening, especially that impact them uh, and, and a greater concern about the environment. I, I really feel like that, like, mm -hmm. and a greater concern for, for other people, or that's just, or that's important to them. Now, I don't know if I want to say greater concern, but it is clear that it's important. Like when I listen to to my 16-year-old talk and the things that his friends are concerned about, um, the global perspective as well, because they have access to so much more information around them um, and they want to do something. I think that's, for me, that's the biggest one is like, mm -hmm. We talk project-based learning, experiential, getting them out of the classroom. Listen, I'm with you. You have, it's like not a should we, it's you have to. If you want to keep their attention, little principle, teaching, lesson, framework, but they want to do it. They want to learn through doing. At least that's, that's something I'm seeing. Well, I mean, I bring in, community service learning, which is really important. But I also feel that, because I've worked with high schools where they have advisories, but they also have apprenticeships and internships. They've worked it into the program. So kids have experience while they're still in school. Um, they get out of school. I think it's really important for them to know what that learning isn't just in school. It's all the time. I'm constantly learning and I've been out of school a long time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I think, um, I think one of the concerns I have is we need to talk about how we talk to each other. So my new podcast is called Real Talk with okay. Barbara and Nicole. It's all about authenticity in a polarized society. And so we're working on 
what does it mean to be authentic? What does it mean to, what is the truth? What, why is, you know, how do you know how to talk to someone you don't agree with? Because right now there's a lot of people who really don't know how to talk to each other. And this is the thing that I'm really concerned about is these kids are smart, but they don't feel um, listened to, valued, respected, seen or heard. We got to we've got to do that. We got to figure it out because they're going to come back at us <laughs> the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I, I love the I, the concept of the new podcast. Yeah. Things going to be really impactful. Thank you um, so much for sharing that, Barbara. Um, let's quickly, let's talk a little CTE. Your, your thoughts on how do we, uh, this is something that has been like a big, conversation I'm having across the board with CTE people is like, how do we get more people to be excited about the opportunities that exist like post-secondary that are connected to career tech education? I think it depends on how it's designed. Mm -hmm. I've seen some CTE programs where you're trying to teach, you know, marketing, but you're not actually letting them do marketing. You know what I mean? It's like, I know that you talked about Don Rhetoric and he knows a whole bunch about marketing. (laughs) I mean, my, my wonder is how much are the kids, like if they design a business, um, what, how do they actually get to be involved with that business? I'll give you an example. I worked at McClyman's high school, which is in, um, Oakland and the kids had to, there was a group that had to come up with a business Mm -hmm. and they wanted to know if there were any black farmers in the area. And, um, they found some in Fresno, which I don't know if you know, California is pretty far away, but they found them and they talked to them and the farmer said, we have no way to market our, our, our goods. We just, we need to find some places. So the kids figured out a business for them. Um, so it's not just that they started a business, they they helped market the business. You see what I mean? They and what they did is they worked with the school district. So the black the blacktop, the parking area was available on the weekends for the farmers. See? They made like their own small micro farmers market there on the on the blacktop well the farmers did it but they helped them design it so what i'm saying is it's not about just starting a business it's knowing all the pieces of what is it that you could do that would be the best and it means what is an interest what do you what are you really interested in let's go see if there's someone out there that you know might even have a problem that you could help solve and the kids the kids are they want to make a difference They Mm -hmm. want to make a difference and they may not be able to just start a business or do a business right now, but they might be able to be part of a business to learn some of the intricacies Mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. It it was just, it was one of those where I went, yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm loving that idea too. And, and the, the connections, the interdisciplinary connections of marketing, entrepreneurship, touching the durable skills, critical thinking, agriculture i love that i just love that whole 
I love that story. That's a beautiful story. But I'm and that what was I'm a long from, time ago. Yeah. They don't have it anymore. I'm just saying it's like I've been mm -hmm. around a long time. <laughs> and mm -hmm. there's all these stories. And I'm just thinking we need to talk about them and bring them back and figure out mm -hmm. where is it happening. And so show it off, show off more about what they can do. And so kids have an idea. You mean I could do that kind of mm -hmm. thing? Mm -hmm. Wow. What I'm hearing more real world experiential opportunities, allowing the kids, students to have hands on experiences with with the concepts, not just uh, surface level touch points. Yeah, I mean, because every kid is doing in high school service learning, but a lot of times it's assigned to them. It's not something they want. So I'm mm -hmm. saying, that how can we change that so there is a way that it helps them build those durable skills, which I know mm -hmm. about. Um, America succeeds. Yes. Tim Taylor is on my show too. <laughs> you know, I, I know you mentioned that before. So it's those durable skills that we don't have. I mean, mm -hmm. teachers don't even know about this. When I mention it, they don't understand how those could be, you know, integrating into the curriculum. I mean, we could be teaching these skills all along, starting really young. And it's right. And the workforce is clearly looking for them. And it just helps you be a, a, a better person all around. If you understand like things like metacognition, like how to think about your thinking and mm -hmm. critical thinking, like all these things that <laughs> this will help you be a better person in relationships and in work. So that 100%. All right, Barb, um, final question. Uh, I, I want to center this, still stay on that CTE uh, spot. Uh, I, I ask all my guests this, what is your vision for the future of career tech education? Any thoughts on that? Um, well, I'm having Elliot Washer on my show <laughs> who wrote, uh, he's big, he co-founded Big Picture th um, Learning and he wrote a new book, uh, Learning to Leave. I think we need to look and read his book. <laughs> I think the issue I'm finding is we don't understand the importance of how much is in the community around us that could really help all of us learn mm -hmm. and how to bring in partners. And I think we could be doing much, much more of that. It's not just community schools where you bring in a, you know, it means that the the kids are going out into the community and learning and figuring out ways that they can actually make a difference. So I, I'm, I'm going to bring up, if I can remember, I think it's Howard County up in South Dakota, I think either North Dakota, South Dakota. Mm -hmm. They were going to, they had not, nothing at the school. There was, the whole town was falling apart. Whole okay. town. And so the kids were scared because people were moving. So the kids went and said, what if we help design the community? They said, we can save our town. And the kids got involved. They got a bowling alley. They got, they got, they figured out ways to bring in enough revenue to keep the town going. So the school would stay. Can you imagine 
if we got the kids involved in some of solving real issues, I mean, think of crime, think of, you know, pollution, think of all these issues. I mean, I, I'm a teach SDGs ambassador. So why aren't we teaching the goals, the UN goals, so they can mm -hmm. actually look at them globally and actually work on them locally? That's the piece that I think CTE is missing is we're not making things relevant enough and meaningful for them in their own communities. So mm. there's that. <laughs> I don't know if they like it. But <laughs> great, great answer. Great answer. Um, man, like I could talk to you for hours, Barbara. I really could. <laughs> like you, you such a, a wealth of knowledge. Um, you just brought it up. I know I would say that was my last question, but I have to ask about the SDGs. Like I'm quality education, global goal number four. Like that's, that's where I really try to hang my hat with all the stuff that I'm doing with curriculum and work and CTE. But how, how do we, any best practices for those who, who want to teach those, those, uh, those global goals, any, any thoughts around that? Well, there's, there's so many lessons online free. I mean, okay. mm -hmm. just right now, climate action, 13, mm -hmm. uh, the mm -hmm. goal 13, everyone's going to be impacted. Everyone, especially our kids, it's their future. We need them to be involved and at least be aware of it. And there's all these lessons that are already embedded with the, they call it the world's largest lesson. It's a gigantic library mm -hmm. of activities around the world. And you can connect with others around the world. See, that's, we're so insulated. We're so in silos. We we even have our grade levels are in silos. We don't even have integrated programs. And I did something in Tampa where I we ended up doing integrated cross-curricular um, projects, six weeks, six uh, science projects. Um, and they were, there were six of them. And they worked like kindergarten, um, let me see, kindergarten, sixth grade and 10th grade work mm -hmm. together and they would pick one of the topics and then the kids and the teachers would all work together one is weather and they ended up making a um and tampa's pretty big so they had their own tv station so the kindergartners would do the weather report the sixth graders had the created the um weather station and the 10th graders actually helped write the scripts and did the things with the, you know, I mean, it was amazing, all of that. And so why is it that we think that kids are, if you're an eighth grader, you're an eighth grader. You know what I mean? You're, you can work with any age because when you get out there in the real world, they're all ages, all, all types. Ages. And so why are we doing that? That's why when I worked in, you know, in New Zealand and saw those hundred kids together, they weren't together. They were some over here, some over there, some under a desk. Mm -hmm. Why don't we look at the real world and see what happens? And I've been at Google. I've worked at Apple. Why don't we make it look like Apple and Google? Why don't we make the environments mm -hmm. where they can play? Give them some chance. You see what I mean? Let's, let's really rethink school. Think CTE yeah. different. I can go on, but I bet I, we're running out of time. <laughs> Part two. Part two coming soon. <laughs> no, wow. That's that's heavy. That's heavy. Um, I have heard of some schools doing that, like working with 
different grade levels, but you're right. We do we silo off in so many in content and grade level. You're you're so right about that. Uh, wow. Like yes. I gotta stay around so I can make some of these changes, or at least Listen, see them. <laughs> you're, you're doing it. You're doing it, Barbara. With that, with that being said, for anyone who wants to connect with you to uh, bring you in for a keynote or some consulting or uh, mm-hmm. how, however you want them to engage, please share where they should go. Well, my website's easy. It's barbarabray.net. <laughs> Everything's there. I'm on Twitter and Instagram and it's bbray27. I'm on threads. I'm trying all these new, you know, I, I really like social media. Some people don't, but I like it. I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> Barbara Bray, you can find me. I hope you reach out. Outstanding. Listen, please don't be selfish. Share this episode with a friend. Barbara dropped a lot of knowledge here. Everything from personalized learning to defining your why to innovations that she's seen all over the world, all of the all over the country. People who are really doing it the right way and moving education forward in our country and in this world. This, this is the last episode. Uh, excuse me. Uh, 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 now we got to edit that out. Goodness, we were doing so good. Okay. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, please like it and share it with a friend. Until the next one, remember, you don't have to be great to get started, but you have to get started to be great. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Global CTE Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to be the first to know about future episodes.